Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, episode 239, turning gateway gamers onto heavy games. We'd like to thank all of our Patreon backers for helping us bring you a brand new episode. Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, the podcast about board gamers and the insane fun we have at the table together. This is Chris. And this is Anthony. And I don't know if you've seen this. I know typically we try to keep our acquisition disorders to later in the episode, but Honestly, man, I got to talk about this up front because there is a new Kickstarter and it is blowing my mind. Do you know about this? Have you heard about this? Have you seen it? Is it up there? Come across your radar whatsoever? Uh, It's possible, but I'm wondering what specifically is blowing your mind by so much. (laughs) Well, let let me let me say this. All right. It's probably something that's just going to blow your mind as well. So maybe you want to step a bit back from the mic just in case it does blow your mind. Uh-huh. Okay, I'm leaning back. Good, 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 good. Because there should be one of us that's in our right mind by the end of the episode. Clearly, seeing this Kickstarter has blown my mind, and I'm going to be a little bit off for the rest of the episode. So I'm going to talk about what this is, but you just stay safe because we need one of us to continue this episode. And we'll see how mentally well I am at the end of this. Now, I don't know if you've seen this, again, because there's a new Kickstarter out there. And it's clearly above and beyond anything that's been out there. My friend, it's just beyond anything that you can possibly imagine. It is Space Raptor. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. I know. (laughs) I did see this. It did blow my mind a little bit until I saw all the details involved. And then my mind came back together and I, I moved on with my day. So. okay all right so all right so all right just it's fine you can mock me it's, it's i don't i don't care no you know hey to each their own i i'm sure i have my own space raptor that blow my own <laughs> well if you haven't seen this before there is a space raptor or in fact here a pink meeple for dinosaur island which is a space raptor <laughs> And actually, you get four dino meeples, one space raptor rep- recipe, and one specialist card for $10. And if you buy it by itself, Ooh. why would you not buy it by yourself? And I don't know what else you would buy it with. I mean, it's the only reason to back this Kickstarter, right? Right? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, is there a game that goes with it? I don't think so. Oh, I don't think the game really matters. Everyone's buying just because it's the Space Raptor. I mean, that's really the only reason why anyone would back this. Yeah, it seems like it. I mean, I don't know anything about the game, so I don't want to badmouth a game I don't know anything about. But it is always funny to me when the company comes out and they're like, hey, here's our new game. And you're like, all right, cool. Here's this completely unrelated promo for this other game you all love. Simon, of course, coined and mastered <laughs> doing that. They're like, yes. hey, Mazmora, huh? <laughs> They're like, ugh. <laughs> no, you can use an Arcadia quest. <sighs> Fine, here's my money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so this is a meeple and a setup that you can use in Dinosaur Island, which would be one of the random dinosaurs that could possibly come up in the game. And I was telling Anthony before mic time that, you know, in a different age and a different time, not too long ago, I would have actually backed this, but... For $10, if you back Godspeed, $15 if you back it alone, and I think it's another $10 or $15 for shipping, it's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. And yet, I got to admit, I kind of want it. So, (laughs) yeah, I'm sure Godspeed is a game, 
but I don't care because it's got Space Raptor in the campaign, and that really it's all that matters, man. Yeah, I'm just gonna wait and hope that PGG store gets it, man, because that'll be cheaper shipping wise. Yeah, well, well, I don't know. It's Space Raptors. I think everyone's gonna clean up the uh, stock here. We might have to wait several months. Actually, in fact, they set an icon on it that says that there's going to be a uh, timed uh, exclusive. So I don't know if you'll see it outside. And then obviously, since it's timed, so to speak, which is a new thing I've never seen before, it's going to come out after the game. So you will receive a game that may or may not be good or bad, but in the end will not matter because of Space Raptors. Space Raptors. Yeah. So if you want to learn more about Space Raptors, check out Godspeed on Kickstarter. And, you know, game, 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 game. Who cares? Who cares? Space Raptors. All right, so let's get back to the rest of the episode while I still have my cognitive abilities to be able to do so. Anthony, it seems like BGA does a lot of stuff out there, not just on our podcast, not just on the website, but in fact, it turns out that the great people who back us on Patreon, we pay them back in kind, and we have a winner for our Patreon contest. Yes, some would say we are insane because uh, people help support the podcast. Space Raptors? Yeah, Space Raptors. <laughs> <laughs> and we just throw it all back at you guys. Uh, so, yeah. Woo! Contest every week. Let, let it rain board games. Uh, this week's winner is Antoine, who submitted a... I actually had fun putting this one together because it was decently difficult, I think, because out of the several answers we got, only like two people got all eight of them correct. So... It was another one of those scavenger hunts, and this time it was designers, and I asked things like, you know, what's a designer who only has one board game to credit on uh, BGG, but the game has to be highly ranked, right? That was actually decently hard. Their most, most designers have done at least two or three games. So congratulations to Antoine for actually getting all eight of those. Some of them are easier than others, obviously, like name a designer who's designed more than 500 games. It's obviously Reiner Knizia, probably also Sid Saxon would work, but there aren't a lot of them out there who've done that much work. And yeah, it's uh, congratulations to everybody else who submitted. Obviously appreciate all the time and energy you put into that, but this week it goes to Antoine because he got them all right. And we'll uh, have another contest up while you're listening to this almost certainly. All right, so that's everything that's going on with BGA. Anthony, let's get on to the episode and let's talk about what our listeners are talking about. What's our question of the week? All right, question of the week this week. I asked everybody what game they would like to see a new map or module for. So this is like the thing that happens with lots of games. Obviously, you just get new maps after new maps. We're talking with a couple friends the other day about Concordia and comparing notes on who had played which maps. Uh, None of us have played all the maps. And I don't even think if you combined all of us that we would played all the maps together. So clearly, we don't need to own all those, but we do. And that's what they do. They get you at that. So I ask people, like, what games you actually want to see more maps for? Because there's another Concordia map coming, which I absolutely do not need, but I will 100% will buy. Uh, what other games could we use maps for? Marcus says Windake. Uh, this is actually a great Euro that nobody bought to the point that Renegade decided not to bring the expansion over, which sucks. So Renegade, come on. <laughs> hook it up some of us bought your game but it's a fantastic game and i agree it would be kind of cool to see like a new map uh to go with that or like a larger one a little bit more space to work with um willie mentions winner circle so getting a chance to do some of the more famous tracks like churchill downs or saratoga several people mentioned runebound third edition so 
I think just in general, that game didn't get a ton of support after release. A little bit. It had an expansion and then some other content, but not as much as typical games from Fantasy Flight get. So a lot of people are looking for that. Shane mentions a nautical module or expanded map for Mage Knight or Runebound 3rd Edition, which would be pretty cool. Mage Knight in general doesn't... I mean, it hasn't had a new expansion in years, and most of it still uses the same basic map tiles. Shane mentions solo scenarios for Battlelore 2nd Edition, which would be fantastic. I would love that. George says that the April Fool's joke about Scythe Cthulhu always looks pretty great which I've actually seen several people mention that over the last few months. So <laughs> I'm not a big Cthulhu guy, but it would be kind of funny to just see a game like that. That's already kind of alternate universe fiction um, in that same time period to, to tackle Cthulhu. Maybe it'd be a little more interesting than what we typically get. So yeah, lots of good stuff. I think for me, I well, honestly I was looking at my shelves in terms of maps. Most of the games I really like have modular maps in some way or another. I would have said, scythe at one point but they just released that modular map so i'm good now <laughs> i don't know what else i'm really looking for uh, in terms of new content tack a solo onto anything i'll take that uh, what about you man anything specific that you'd like to see like a new modular map for well the one map that always bothered me you know because you traveled it a lot was the map from marco polo mm, yeah which i understand is historically somewhat kind of accurate yeah. <laughs> but it was it was always kind of, it's a kind of a boring map, you know? And then the the travel cards you get really force you just to honestly pick one because the way the kind of paths are laid out, it really kind of strapped you into one particular path or the other. I really like to see that opened up a bit. Marco Polo is a really fantastic game, but the map side of it always kind of pulled the game down a bit. I love picking up the bonuses, but it's always like, oh yeah, you do the top thing or you do the bottom thing and it's going to cost that thing. I would really love to see a board on top of that board kind of swap it out and offer a different perspective. Yeah, I could see that. That'd be good. I mean, they added that sideboard for the city, but mm -hmm. that's not really different. That's just like an no. additional thing you can do. Yeah, it's more like just the worker placement kind of upgrade. So I'd like to see an actually different board, maybe some alternate routes or mountain routes or just some different connecting paths for Marco Polo because just to add a little more strategy in there instead of just hardlining it from one spot to the other. Mm -hmm. All right, so that's everything from our question of the week. Let's get on to the episode. All right, so that's everything from our question of the week. If you'd like to join in on the great conversation, Facebook, Twitter, BoardGamersAnonymous.com, our YouTube channel, everywhere you listen to podcasts, you can find us there. All right, so let's get on to the episode and let's talk about the games that we want to hit our table. Anthony, what do you have for us, for us this week? All right, yeah, I have a new game that is coming out at Essen called Crystal Palace. It is designed by Karsten Lauber. It's from Fjörland, Spiel, and Capstone Games is bringing it over to the U.S., so that's how it hit my radar. I did get a little bit of a peek at this at Gen Con, not a ton um, from Fjörland, Spiel. They had it set up as a demo, but didn't get a chance to play it, didn't really know a lot about it. But of course, Capstone has decided to bring everything over this year. I think they have like five or six games they've announced that they're shipping this fall that are SN releases, which is amazing because in the past we couldn't get any of these things. So awesome work, guys. <laughs> That's all I got to say there. This one in particular, though, is interesting. It takes place in the World's Fair in London, 1851. So we have yet another game about a World's Fair. And it has a dice placement mechanic. So a familiar mechanism in Euros where you have dice with different pip numbers. You're going to use those to take different actions. But in this case, 
you choose what the dice are at the beginning of every round, and then you pay for it. So you're going to pay based on the number of pips you put on your dice. And then whoever pays the most and has the highest pip numbers gets to go first. Whoever has the lowest gets a little bit of a bonus towards the end of that. The goal of all this is to go to various different action locations on the board. So you have like a patent office, the newspaper, the Port of London, uh, the museum, the bank, all these different places where you're like meeting with people and building up uh, resources and generally trying to trying to complete different inventions and get patents and just basically be the most impactful person at this World's Fair. It seems like they threw in a few interesting ideas here, like you got like Phileas Fogg and Amelia Edwards and like some goofy inventions that aren't real. So it's a little fantastical as well, which is kind of a nice touch. I like the graphic design on this. It does kind of evoke those, you know, the imagery from the mid 19th century around the World's Fair. And I don't know, anytime you take that dice worker placement mechanic, which I really like, you just talked about Marco Polo, one of my favorite games of all time and just put a little tweak on it, I'm I'm going to be interested if nothing else. So this is a game I'm definitely going to try to track down and, and give a play. Designer is a first-time designer, I believe, so there's nothing to compare it to, but it does look interesting. I am excited to give it a try. That's Crystal Palace. Yeah, I really love the fact that Capstone's bringing these games out to the market because they are highly sought after. I really don't know what the industry is doing keeping these games back. I mean, we're consuming games at a higher and higher rate. And a lot of these rare gems out there in Europe are just not hitting our shores, not just right away, but they're just not hitting the shores at all. And I can think of half a dozen games I've heard great things about, but never seen on a table. All right. So a acquisition disorder that I have is an expansion to a game that I love quite a bit. It is Upstairs Downstairs, an obsession expansion. It's a servant focused expansion from the award-winning thematic euro plus a second printing of the sold out obsession base game and wessex expansion this project will wrap up on tuesday october 15 2019 and it's already surpassed its fifty thousand dollar goal so it will certainly back but it's definitely something you want to take a look at so i've talked about his obsession a little bit obsessively for time to time and Maybe this is the Space Raptor talking, but I really enjoy this game a great deal. I remember when we played this at PAX Unplugged, and it was one of those games where I never thought I would want to sit down and play that game. And I heard from one person about how great this game was. It was somebody who was working at the convention. It was mentioning a couple of games, and I was I was kind of gauging his board gaming expertise. And I was like, nope, I think this guy's on to something. And we sat down and played this game. We avoided a lot of other games. And Obsession was this Jane Austen-esque type of game about competing families for the favors of these really high aristocrats. And you put on events and programs using a tile placement mechanic. And you pick up those tiles from a market. And then you have to place servants, typically, on those events in order to perform that actual event that that's now performed and you need cards in your hand that are all these aristocrats or these very odd people that can kind of bring down your reputation and reputation is victory points in this game so you're trying to raise your reputation throughout it's a fun game it's a fast game it's it's a really dynamic game and really enjoyable so when this went out of print 
everybody around me was asking about this game and they couldn't find a copy of this. So the fact that this is coming out a second time is fantastic. The expansion adds, I think, what fair out to be a much needed essential expansion because it brings in characters that allow the game to kind of pick up the pace a bit. So there is a cook that you add to the game that's going to allow you to invite guests one or two level above the reputation. Why this is important is because based upon your reputation, you're going to be hindered to bring certain people into play and certain people into play in this case are cards in your hand. So by being able to play higher level cards, you'll score more money, you'll score more reputation. Everything will go up a great deal. There's the whole boy who will works with the butler in order to raise the financial value of certain cards. So now you're having more money in the game. You'll be able to purchase additional tiles in the game. There is the head house maid, and she comes into the game, and she's going to be able to provide additional service in the game that wasn't normally there, and she can actually work with casual guests, which is fantastic. Um, there's a useful man who does a large number of things, including raising up the value of the tiles, or in this case, the events in the game. There's additional cards. There is finally a full-fledged fifth player, which is fantastic. And just some new additional kind of balancing cards and some balancing tiles. So, upstairs, downstairs, uh, an Obsession expansion and Obsession now getting reprinted is absolutely something you should check out. Whether or not you're in, interested or involved in that kind of British kind of aristocracy, Jane Eyre kind of S thing, I have a general feel for it, but it's not my thing. And yet I really do love this game. Yeah, definitely. I feel like this is a game where you a lot of people might look at the theme and say, oh, it's not for me. But the game is really solid. And the theme is also really solid if it is for you. Like if you're somebody who is into all that, then it's not just pasted on. It's super intricate. And there's a lot of history and write ups and additional content and flavor text throughout the game that really, really adds to it. This was like my big surprise of that convention uh, when we play this to the point where like, yeah, I did the same thing, right? Like, ran home I had to make sure i get a copy uh so this is definitely on my list as well i'm gonna back it so yeah this is uh i agree full-heartedly <laughs> with this one so it's not the space raptors talking no 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 you're good on this one <laughs> <laughs> all right all right so that's everything that we want to hit our table let's get on to the games that we did play this past week and let you know if those games are a buy and you should run out and pick those games up if those games are a play and you should sit down at the table if those games are a dodge and you should avoid the at all costs or if the game is the dreaded burn and you should burn it because it is not a space raptor game so anthony what game do you have up for us this week Yes, I have a very special game um, for a couple of reasons. One, this is a game that was very excited about. Several friends were very excited about and came out at Gen Con. So we got a chance to pick this up. The designer developer, Raymond Chandler uh, of Parallel Games, he provided us a copy. We're going to be launching a contest for anybody who listens to this and is interested in the game. You'll have a chance to win the game as well. So this is like kind of a fun thing that we've kind of always wanted to do. And in this case, the stars aligned and we can do it. So make sure you check the various places that we post things facebook twitter blog etc for a link there to the contest and it's very simple we're not asking for much just enter your information and there's a few extra ways to enter if you're interested and yeah someone's going to win a copy of city of the big shoulders now the game let's get to the game this is a game that's described 
uh, by the designer and by several people that I know have played it uh, and other reviewers as like a cross between 18 double X and, you know, more traditional like worker placement style euros. And some people will also evoke Arkwright in there as well, which is there for sure, but much more streamlined. Like the pieces are there and you can see it, but it's not nearly as heavy as that game. So mechanically in this game, what you're doing is you're going to be running different companies from Chicago. Thematically, this game takes place in Chicago. It's it's based on a very famous poem by Carl Sandburg of the same name. And it obviously a lot of bits in here were pulled from that and inspired by that both thematically and in terms of design and some of the flavor texts and elements that come through here. Um, all the companies are traditional companies from Chicago in that time period. And like it takes place from like the 18, the late 1800s until like the early 1920s or so, right up to the Depression. So you're running a company up until everything collapses, essentially. And this is where it gets interesting because it's not an 18 double X game, but it has those elements. And so this is the kind of game people might play that have not played 18 double X before. And they need to understand a couple things. One, you don't necessarily own the company that you're running. You have your own personal player board. That's your money. And that's how you're going to decide who wins is people's individual money. And then to start the game and later on throughout the game, if you want to, you can purchase the controlling share in a company, which you will, you'll spend your personal money. You'll put that money into the company and then later on, as you play through the game's action phases, that company will take actions and spend that money to do things. You don't care how much money is left in the company at the end of the game. You just want the money that you gain. Other people can buy stock in your company. People can take over your company if they get enough stock uh, to do so. And this is very much like the core concept of 18 X games is that nobody owns anything. They just run it and then try to profit off of it as much as they can while they run it. But you can also try to profit off someone else's thing while they run it. So that's a big thing to keep in mind. Mechanically in the game, there's just really like three main phases and then a bunch of like intricacies that go in after that. There's the stock buying and selling phase, which happens at the beginning of every round. And you can buy or sell any one stock certificate on your turn and you just keep going around until people run out of money and don't want to do it anymore. If you sell somebody else's stocks, it can drive down the share price. So that's kind of a way you can mess with people and it sucks. And I hate when people do it to me, but it's part of the game. Uh, once you've done all that, you're going to move to the action phases. And in the action phases, you are going to take different worker placement actions on this board. So you're going to place a new action out for your row at the beginning of every round. So there will be four of these actions owned by individuals playing the game at the beginning and then there'll be eight then 12 all the way up till you have five rounds and each player has you know one of those actions out and these actions will do different things so some of them will let you get resources you need to produce other ones let you get workers other ones let you hire managers or salespeople. i'm not going to go into all the details of all of that but essentially you're just buying the various things you need to be able to run your companies efficiently you can also pick up capital uh, improvements. These are like tiles that go on your company boards that usually have some kind of powerful effect. They're very expensive, but they have some kind of powerful effect that you can use only by yourself, right? Uh, there are various other bonuses you can pick up. There's an appeal track that you can move up based on these different things you purchase. The appeal track is one of the three different <laughs> turn order tracks. This is probably one of the 
few areas of the game that frustrated me to some degree is that the player who picks first for buying and selling stock, that's just a rotating turn marker. The player who gets to run their companies first, which means they purchase things out of the market and run their company, uh, that one is based on the appeal track. And then the third option, the worker placement actions, that is based on an actual turn order track that you can move up in by taking an action. It's really easy to forget all those. And the first time you teach this game to anybody, it seems fairly simple to forget. And it can be frustrating and you'll make mistakes because of it. Once you've done all that, you'll run your companies. You will go through and if you've either already purchased materials that you need or if you need to purchase them from the market, you can do that. And you will get a certain number of goods based on what you produce. You get bonuses based on whether you have managers or salespeople there. You sell everything into the market. There's a set number of spaces in the market for each of the four types of goods. You take all your cash and then you divide it up based on who has stock. So let's say you own 30% of that company. Someone else owns 20%. Someone else owns 10. And then the company retains 40%. You will split it up and divvy it out based on those percentages to all four of those entities. So there's a lot of math in this phase. Uh, I can bog things down a little bit, but it's pretty standard in this type of game. They have to go through that. It is all 10 based. So just divide everything by 10. Doesn't make it too horribly complicated. But again, have a calculator nearby because it is helpful to do. Uh, there are a few other elements that kind of go into this. There are like end game scoring conditions. There are some tweaks in terms of like when you can buy and sell stock. You can do an emergency sellouts, all sorts of stuff like that. But at the end of the day, you are running these various companies. You're trying to maximize the value you can personally extract from them. And that seems to be the key to success here is if you can find the right tipping point to buy out all the stock in a company and drain it as much cash as you can to time it right to the end of the game so that company can still take actions but doesn't have too much leftover cash at the end, you're going to do well. Uh, this is a game I've played in a couple different iterations now. Um, the most recent time I played it was a full four players. Everybody knew the game and we played with the full uh, advanced rules, which involved being able to kind of mess with each other a little bit more. And I think that's definitely the way to play it. It doesn't put any kid gloves on. It doesn't block any actions that you might want to take. There are some bonuses that come in there that are important. I really, really like this game. I, I thought it was at first, you know, my first kind of half playthrough of it. I wasn't a hundred percent sure because it felt overly complicated, but I think part of that was a, we were all learning it. But B, it has a lot of familiar mechanics that don't 100% work the way you think they're going to. Because again, it, like it has the worker market from Arkwright. It has a similar like structure in terms of how the companies run, but much more simplified. Uh, there's that, again, 18XX idea of owning a company, but not necessarily owning it, just having a controlling share in the stock of that company and having to manage that accordingly. Wrapping your head around all those things. And then at the end of the day, it's still just a worker placement mechanic at the middle of the board was very, very interesting. I had a lot of fun with it. I think once you get over the hump and know the game, it seems to flow decently quickly. That last play was about three hours. Uh, I was afraid early on this might be like a four, five, six hour game like Arkwright. And at the weight and the complexity, I was like, I don't know if I can commit to that. But it does seem to flow pretty smoothly once everybody knows it. And yeah, I just had a lot of fun with it. I think this does exactly what the designer kind of outlined that he wanted it to do is introduce people to these mechanics 
this whole idea behind the 18 double X genre, but do it in a slightly more familiar classical Euro way. And I think it works really well as a result. I, like I said, I do find a little bit of fiddliness with all the different player who goes first and what various phases. It's easy to lose track of that. There are some specific mechanics that you can kind of lose track of as well. Like the market can burst if you run out of cubes in the bag and then everything goes back and all your planning goes out the window. (laughs) But as long as you know, these things are coming, as long as you're aware of how it's going to flow, I think it all works really well. So that's part of it. First play maybe is just going to be getting your head around the game. But then from there, you know, if this is the type of game for you, it's really, really solid. So for me, at first I was on the line about it a little bit, having played it a bit more. I think this is a buy. I'm really happy that I have it. I'm excited to play more of it. And that's always like a good sign for me. If I play through a game a couple times and I'm like, all right, I want to know how to do better. I want to get more out of this. One thing I will say is that if you just get the base version of the game, you might feel like you're missing a little bit. Uh, It has paper money instead of the card money that comes in the upgrade. You also don't get some of the better companies. The expansion has a lot of new companies that you can work. And almost all of them seem more interesting than the ones in the base box because they have like special powers that break the rules in certain ways. You know, I played American Flyer the last time and that one, you don't assign workers the normal way. You just put as many workers as you can in there. And for every worker you put in, you produce a good. So it was a really interesting mechanic that I could play with. They all kind of have something like that where you can play with it, manipulate it, and it makes it a little more asymmetrical. So I really like that and I do recommend playing with those. But then you also have the base ones if you're just looking for something a little simpler, more straightforward, and uh, good for like, you know, people just entering the game. So that is City of the Big Shoulders. I give it a buy. I think it's fantastic. And I'm looking forward to playing it again. For me, having played this game several times now, I will agree slash disagree with you on something. I think that there is an essential way to play this game. And I feel like if you're not playing that way i don't really feel like you are playing the game in which it should have been played as you mentioned there's a little oddity as far as uh the paper money and and then you can play with poker chips and stuff blah blah blah. that's not really the issue so to speak the different companies with the game breaking or just the variability as far as what they can do and how they can do it instead of being a straight oh you get a bonus here and you get a bonus there but the different powers and how the companies work differently, I think is essential to the game. I also think it's essential to the game that you play the advanced mode. I think the basic mode does this game a disservice. I played the basic game first because we were all like, oh my God, this is going to be so heavy. I don't want, and it was like, oh yeah, you know, it's not, not heavy, but you know, it, it wasn't a matter of weight. It was a matter of just, It doesn't really flush out the stock elements to the game if you're not playing with the fact that you can buy out another company, that you can dump stock. All the things that you can do with the stocks really don't come into full fruition unless you can actually manipulate the market. Otherwise, it's just like, I got a company, I could be lazy or I could be smart, it really doesn't make a difference, there's nothing that's going to really hurt my company or going to hurt me. And, you know, I'll produce whatever I produce and it's fine. It's not really a big deal. You really need to do that. And finally, I'll say one more thing. You need to play at the full player count. You just need to play at the full player count. Play at several player counts. And this is a long game. So this is an investment of time each and every time. 
The game is dramatically better at the full player count. If you don't have other players purchasing your stocks or selling stocks to the bank or what all the other mechanics that go into the game, then you are just playing half a game. Play the advanced, play with a full player count, and pick up the expansion because if you're not really playing with the advanced companies, you are really missing out on the joy of this game. And I'm sorry, I don't like this idea that there is supposedly an equal but lesser version to the game. There's just not. It's not as good, not even close. That being said, for me, is everything that you said, it gets a play for me. There is a little bit of a challenge, as I mentioned, with that kind of setup. But even with that setup, you do have to really constantly keep up with the math because you got to know it's if it's worth your while to pay off dividends. And you kind of need to know that somewhat in advance because you're going to pay for resources. So if you can't keep up with the math or you don't have a calculate handy that you're, that you're utilizing throughout the game, it's a little bit challenging uh, if that's not mentally your thing right off the top of your head. So it gets, it gets a solid play for me. Yeah, I don't disagree with anything you said there. Um, I think I, I, I do. I do wonder when people use like, this is the advanced game versus this is the normal game. Instead of saying this is the normal game and here's a beginner version, which I think is a better yeah. way to word that because a lot of games like Arkwright does that too, where there's like, here's a version of the game that's short and removes some rules. And here is a much more complicated, longer version. And I did the same thing that I did with this game where I played the shorter version first. I'm like, okay, I get it. And you play the full version. You're like, oh, I get it. This is much more fun. It's longer. It's harder, but it's better. So you're right. It does do these games a little bit of disservice. And I think part of that is you don't want to make the game too inaccessible for too many people. But it's just sometimes that's what your game is. So that's what you need to do. I agree in terms of like the expansion. Definitely want to pick that up. I don't think that the regular companies are worthless necessarily, but at the same time, I don't know that I would ever want to pick one of them as my starting company. I mm-hmm. did. I have picked them as like secondary companies where they're just like solid money generators versus yeah. like the initial ones where you can really try to manipulate and play to the strengths of that company, which is just more fun anyways. So I, and I feel like it's a little more thematically true. Mm-hmm. But not even from a thematic level, but the idea is Agricola, which is depending on your point of view, mm. is a heavy game or, you know, medium heavy game or whatever it is. Regardless, when Agricola came out, they had what they called in the game you could play with called the family version where you didn't play with the cards, which is primarily Agricola. And you could just, you know, do a little worker placement, maybe score 20 some odd points. And that was the game. Cool. Everyone knew that that was the family version. It was a a dumbed-down version, and then there was Agricola. This has the base game and then the advanced version. I think you really need to go back, call the advanced version the base game, and dumbed-down version, so to speak, more of like the family entry-level gateway game, because I think it's missing a lot of good people out there, and it really deserves more table time. 100%. Yeah, so there you have it. Buy for me, play for Chris. Uh, Again, if you are interested in winning a copy of this game, make sure you hit up all the various places, Twitter, Facebook, the website, and uh, enter the contest. Share it with your friends. You'll get more entries as well if you do. So uh, we're excited about this. It's our first chance to actually do this and like covering a game and then spotlight it and then share it with everybody. And yeah, so definitely do that and let us know what you think. Uh, 
not only of the contest, but of the game itself and any interest you might have. All right, so that's everything that, that's hitting our table. Let's get on to our feature review. So for our feature review this week, we are talking about the best bridge games, turning gateway gamers onto heavy games. So Anthony, it seems like we had a little assistance with this category this week. Yeah, yeah, we were talking last week because we had a couple of holes in the schedule. I guess this was a couple of weeks ago we were talking about it. And so we put it to the Patreon backers in the Slack group and we said, what topics do you guys want us to cover? And we actually got like 15 or so recommendations. And I think we're going to do most of them. They're all pretty good. So first off, thanks for doing our job for us. And second off, <laughs> no, seriously, though, we really appreciate the, the input. The first one on the list is one that Mike shared with us. And it is this topic of how to get people to move from gateway games to heavy games. And not just like what's the next step, because we've done that before a couple of years ago. We've, we've talked about this a lot, but specifically what games help people learn how to play heavy games? Like what games seem relatively straightforward on the surface, but have a lot of depth to them. So these are like medium weightish games that just they can go much deeper if you really dig into them. And that can really help somebody prepare for a much heavier, more involved board game like City of the Big Shoulders or Arkwright or any of those other big ones we've been talking about. Yeah, absolutely. And we really want to get gamers into the heavier versions of the games, not because they're more complex or because they're, you know, going to melt your brain down like a space raptor, but generally because they are really the full and complete vision of the designer. And you owe it to yourself to really enjoy that kind of game experience but typically, we know that when you're bringing gamers to the table, they have, may have only played Monopoly or maybe Ticket to Ride or Catan or something maybe just slightly heavier, but you want to engage them in a longer, deeper, more rich game. So actually, how do you go about doing that? What game do you bring to the table that does take your Gateway Plus gamers into something that's actually heavy? So, Anthony, what do you have up for us? Yeah, so I picked out three. We both picked out three. But these three in particular for me are games that I feel I could put down in front of somebody who's only played like those gateway games, like you mentioned, but also with people who play much heavier games and both sides would be interested in the game and have fun with it. And there's a reason why oh, I own all of these because <laughs> I feel like they fit that middle ground, right? So the first on the list is Everdell. And Everdell at first glance seems like a fairly light game, right? It's you know, like a 2.8 weight. It's very fuzzy, family friendly on the surface. Uh, some people even called it a gateway game. And I think to some degree, that's all true because it is fairly simple mechanically. You do one of three things on your turn. You place a worker and get the things on the space. So very basic worker placement. You play a card from your hand, goes into your tableau, or you prepare for the next season and pull that stuff back and prepare to do the next thing, right? The real complexity of this game comes from your tableau of construction and critter cards. There are multiple types of cards. You have travelers, production, destination, governance, prosperity. And then the cards can generate resources. They give you abilities. They can score points. Any game that has this with like a giant deck of largely unique cards that you build into a tableau is going to be complex by its very nature, if you want it to be, right? You don't have to play it complex. You could just put down cards that score points. You could ignore it completely, you know, just play it very simple. But if you really dig in and unlock all the different potential combinations here, there's a lot of 
potential complexity to Everdell. And then they throw in the expansions on top of that. You have like Pearlbrook with the new sideboard and the new resource and the new worker types. They have two new expansions coming to Kickstarter very, very soon. They're going to add even more depth there. So this is the type of game that I'm perfectly happy putting in front of new gamers and then just like drawing it out of them and just seeing like, how deep do you want to go here? And then we can maybe jump to the next step in something more complex. So that's Everdell. Well, for me, when we're looking to move gamers into heavier games, we really want to teach concepts that are somewhat easy to engage with, but long term, they could build up complex strategies. So I have three games that allow you to play the game with not much, you know, muss or fuss and are based upon things you've previously played before, a little heavier, but will get you into something that's more dynamic. So first up is something that I never thought I would get myself into was war games. Ah, they're really complex. They're really challenging. There's so many different pieces on the board. I just can't seem to get into those. But it was always something that was outside on the edge. And I wanted to find something that was easily acceptable and accessible for me. And I found it with 878 Vikings by Academy Games. Now, this isn't a war game. It's a, I would say, kind of like an entry-level game into that kind of market. Here you have the Vikings versus the people of the England Island, and they are fighting back. And basically what you're doing here is you're going to play a tactic card based upon where you're based, if you're the attacker or the defender here. And it plays somewhat asymmetrically because you do have to accomplish certain goals that are somewhat different, but it is primarily capturing the aisle. And the cards that you play with are pretty standard. Now, later on, as you're moving the dudes on the map, you can take a look and you can kind of try to play the game later with, you know, a card drafting, card building, deck building mechanic where you are entering the more complex level of here, the more meta of the game, so to speak. And that really allows you to kind of open up the strategy and not just play the standard set kind of actions and movements. So 878 Vikings, great game to move your medium weight gamers into something a little more heavy. All right. As for me, the next one is Railways of the World. And so this is a game that it's one of many from Martin Wallace and his long line of train games that kind of go from lower levels up to increasingly more complex. And the reason I picked this one in particular is because it is probably the simplest one to learn. It has just a handful of actions, single board, and one basic idea in terms of what you're trying to do with your trains and how you're going to score points. But there's a lot of depth and complexity here in terms of how you build routes and what cards you pick up and when you take actions, how quickly you upgrade your engine, all these different things are going to matter. So while the basic idea of the game is you build tracks, you urbanize, you upgrade your engines and you deliver stuff, the order in which you do it, how you do it, how you cut other people off, <laughs> ideally from being able to do it themselves, capturing a good before someone else can capture it, how repopulating goods onto the map. These are all like very finite things that don't always go the way they seem simple enough, right? But they're not necessarily going to go the way you want them to because there is so much interaction going on. And it really captures what some of the heavier, more complex train games, even from Martin Wallace, like Age of Steam, 
how those operate, what they bring to the table, and ideally, like the kind of depth you can get into. Now, this is not like the 18xx style of train game. This is, that's a whole other path you can go down. But it is a good way to introduce people to the ideas of building, delivering, owning, managing these railroads and pulling various bits of complexity out of what is on its face a fairly straightforward game. So that's Railways of the World. For my second game, I am taking a look at a game that has had multiple reinventions and finally, I think, kind of met its best self, so to speak. It, it kind of worked its way through those dark times of those destructive elements and came out on the other side a lot better. This is Energy Empire. Now, this comes from the series of the Manhattan Project games, but really isn't tied to Manhattan Project, so to speak, at least in the destruction element. This is all about using different forms of energy, having dice rolling in the game, and then dealing with the different tragedies and calamities and things that you try to do in order to better the world, so to speak, and hopefully better your environment even better. So what starts out is a very simple game because basically you are meeting the special conditions that have come up and then you are trying to and then you're trying to meet those conditions by purchasing different types of energy in the form of dice. So on the very base level, you see what the conditions are. You see what you need to kind of build up with. You choose the particular dice that are available. You roll them and you deal with it. It's not a big deal. But if you want some extra complexity to the game, it's available because what dice you pick up has a press your luck element to it. And it does play very thematic. So a lot of times when gamers come to the table and they hear about heavy games, they think about something that's going to be super complex, super abstract. But here... In this game, Energy Empire, you're going to be able to physically see and experience that type of situation, like dealing with pollution in the environment and meeting certain conditions, which once again, based upon the different techniques and machinery and the, and the country you have, offers a lot of replayability and a lot of complexity. And yet at the same time, it's a press your luck, roll the dice game and meet certain conditions. Pretty straight up simple. All right, so for me, my third game is a, this is one of my favorite games from about three years ago, and for a couple of reasons. Uh, Blood Rage from Eric Lang and Simon does two things that I think are important in trying to introduce people into a heavier style of game. One is it throws a bunch of big, amazing looking miniatures on the board. It just looks like a, a brawl fest, you know, like a beer and pretzels type of game. So it just gets people to the table because they're interested in seeing what this is. But two, it has these big old decks of cards that you're going to work through and manage and build out to create a strategy for yourself throughout the game, which is something that other more complex games do as well, but at a much higher scale. So this introduces people to the idea of not necessarily drafting, but being able to take the different elements of choice in a game and build a strategy for yourself based on what's presented to you during the game. So you can't just walk into Blood Rage and say, I'm going to do the Loki strategy, because maybe those cards don't come into your hand at any point for you to be able to pull them. You need to build based on what you see. And that is what makes this game like just kind of a sleeper for me, and like just showing people and introducing them to slightly more complex ideas, is, yeah, you just, you're drafting some cards, you're playing some gods, you're blowing some stuff up, it's a lot of fun. But at the end of the day, 
you're also thinking about how best to manipulate the situation based on the powers and abilities that you've picked up personally. And there's a lot of different ways to score from that. There's a lot of different ways to manipulate and mess with your opponents doing that. And I think for an area control game, for a war game, for anything asymmetrical, uh, this is a really good way to introduce people to those ideas. And it's still a hit. It's one of my favorite games still on my shelf today. So that is Blood Rage. Blood Rage. Blood Come Rage. on, say it right, man. I'm sorry. See, that's one of the things. It's been too long. <laughs> you know, I don't. I don't know, man. Like you used to be cool. You used to be about the Blood Rage. Now you're just like, yeah, Blood Rage. You know. <laughs> see the problem. Is, see the problem is you don't have enough space raptors in your life. Your your space raptor quotient is quite 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 too low. This is a very metal episode. I don't know. It's space <laughs> raptors, Blood Rage. <laughs> Dude, there's literally Space Raptors on Kickstarter right now. I'm not making this up. You're making it sound like I'm making this up. It's actually on Kickstarter. You could buy a skate Space Raptor. I could. I could. Uh, 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 all right. Finally, I want to talk about a game that is seemingly a huge, epic kind of game. And really, honestly, you want to get people into the huge, epic kind of game. And one of the huge epic kind of games are these big civilization building games with war elements and economies and things like that. And when you think about those games, it's overwhelming. And to bring somebody who is next deck, you know, gateway gamer up to those heavy kind of complex games, it's really going to blow their mind. So why not play a game that is going to allow you to play three different conditions in order to win. I think actually four, if you take into consideration, well, whatever, it's going to give you a lot of different conditions to come down to win. So when players get involved, let's say they're really interested in being able to trade goods. Great. Let's say someone's interested in the money. Great. Let's say someone's interested in the conquering. Excellent. What if someone's really into the mythology and wants to build up a whole bunch of tableaus great you know what i got for you marinostrum empires marinostra empires is fantastic because you're going to build up your little civilization and there's a number of ways to actually win the game you can pick any particular way and path to get there which is nice and friendly for those next step gamers but for the advanced gamers or for the next step gamers next time they play they can utilize a number of different mechanics, including the trading, the gold, the, the, all of those different win conditions can be used in conjunction to really build out a fantastic strategy. So if you're looking to get someone into those gigantic, fantastic Civ games, Marinostrum Empires is a great bet. All right, so that's everything from this time. Until next time, this is Chris. And this is Anthony. And we'll save you all a seat at the table. Wit Raptors. Space Raptors especially. member of the Dice Tower Network, dedicated to bringing podcasters together for the greater good of gaming. It's sort of like Voltron, but with better lip syncing. Find out more at Dicetowernetwork.com. <laughs>